So in light of the fact that Valentine's Day, which I know is a very like corporate driven, <laughs> consumerist, <laughs> capitalist driven holiday. I but always loved it. <laughs> <laughs> even so, it's still a good excuse to like celebrate love and, and the people we love in our, in our lives. Mm-hmm. I wanted to ask you um, in the last couple of months since our last episode, what was a particular mm-hmm. moment or experience in which you felt love was so palpably present? Oh my gosh. I think for me, love is most palpable right after a moment of like deep resentment. <laughs> Ooh, okay. Yeah. Those conflicting yeah. emotions kind of coming oh my to gosh, the surface. So much. Like mm-hmm. most recently, I opened up to my mom about some of the insecurities that I was feeling, the fears that I had um, as a result of COVID. And then she was just like, Sunny, you just have to work harder, be more ambitious, be more cutthroat with your life. I was just like, oh my God, I hate you right now. (laughs) Yeah. And so we didn't talk for like a week. And then I was able to communicate to her how I just need space to communicate my darker feelings without judgment. Mm. And she got it. And I think that moment where she was like, oh, I was triggered because I was afraid for my daughter. And then to be like, my role as a mother is actually to hold space and let her figure it out on her mm. own. Wow. Yeah. That was beautiful. Yeah. And and then from that feeling that love in that mm-hmm. realization. Yeah. Like that resolution of conflict, like how you resolve conflict, I think for me is such a deep expression of love like the compassion that Mm -hmm. that can show through that yeah yeah what about you well it's it's fascinating that you mentioned that you had a uh, an argument with your mother because (laughs) that is honestly the memory I was going to pull out as well um I've actually uh was in Houston over the last few months um staying with my folks over you know November December and much of mm. January and oh, that's such a long time a very long time <laughs> for an only child too because you know I'm I'm their main focus most of the time when I'm mm-hmm. home and uh, I had the wonderful opportunity of, of having Terrence with me we actually drove from LA to Houston mm-hmm. over a 24 hour long road trip to try to be as COVID safe as possible and um my mom and I got in a, in a pretty big fight and it was the first time Terrence had ever witnessed that, right. Mm-hmm. And, and kind of been a part of that challenge and kind of the aftermath of that was when I felt the most love, right. Similar to you, only this time it was almost like a deeper connection I had with Terrence, like him coming to me and being like, wow, I see you. And I now can more palpably understand some of the struggles that you've been going through because it's clear mm. what you were arguing about wasn't actually what you were arguing about, right? Like there is a deeper thing that was going on there. And I think his recognition felt so loving in the moment and, and it just brought us closer together so that because he could see a little more deeper into me, my relationships with my mom and my history. Oh, that's so powerful because it reminds me of what Thich Nhat Hanh says about love as understanding. Mm. Like understanding is the universal form of love. And I think with that, how beautiful that even if you didn't get that understanding from your mom, you were able to get it from your partner. Exactly. Yeah. And and to hope that that my relationship with my mom will reach that, you know, mm-hmm. in the future. And mm-hmm. and I have hope for that. Well, 
that was a really great way to kick off this episode. And so let's continue the conversation. Welcome to our podcast, Are You There Universe, hosted by me, Jamie Wu, and Sunny Yu, two high-achieving Asian-American women recovering from burnout. Join us as we embark on a journey to reclaim ourselves and inner power, unpack and explore the transformative nature of social change and justice at the level of the spirit, and heal our past traumas by exploring our present. Because when you heal yourself, you heal the world. When you evolve, the world evolves with you. One thing as we kind of dive into our relationships, and that's with our romantic partners, our family, our friends, is something that I try to remind myself over and over again, and that is they do not belong to us. Right? <laughs> you know, it's it's the sense that like they are not put on this earth and in relation to you just to make you happy, mm-hmm. right? Like that is not their purpose in terms of the relationship that you have with them. And I have to remind myself myself of that oftentimes when I'm with Terrence and he's not doing something the way I want it to be done. And it's like, yeah, because he's his own person and he has his own wants and needs and desires. And Mm -hmm. we should be allowing each other to grow spiritually in whatever way is nourishing for them. Right. Yeah. I kind of think of it like you have your version and your way of understanding the world and he has his own version. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's like two different computer programs that are trying to like agree on something on what reality is. And what becomes so beautiful is when those two kind of systems Mm -hmm. are aligned in a way that makes each system better or at least like brings out the best in it. Right. In Mm -hmm. them. Right. So, like for me, our partnership is a place where we can really stretch and grow in order to meet, you know, the highest versions of ourselves and not necessarily like, oh, he's just here to satisfy me. I'm just here to satisfy him in in the short term. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's something that I've been really grappling with as we moved in together not very long Mm -hmm. ago. (laughs) Wait, how long had it been since you were dating before we moved in, mm-hmm. um, about a month, I'm sorry, about a year and two months. <laughs> a month? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no way. Um, a year and two months or so. And so that's also like, we have our own way of living in our own space, right? Like mm-hmm. our own morning routines. And there is respect in being able to honor both of those lifestyles or or ways of being, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think it, it's also just recognizing that we all come to the table with our past conditioning. We all come to the table with the stories that we tell ourselves, right? Mm-hmm. The storytelling of the mind and and traumas and wounds. And we're looking for partners who can help us grow, right? Grow into the people that we want to be. And that's with our families, with our friends, with our romantic partners too. Yeah. And that growth can't happen without conflict, right? <laughs> right. Totally. Totally. Yeah. I've been thinking about that a little bit because I compare my my most recent relationship with my current relationship and my most recent one I feel like was 
me just being disappointed that this person wasn't making me happy all the time. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's not the end goal. And that is probably what led to our breakup was, was me not recognizing or also just not being the best version of myself around this person. Right. And that's not necessarily quote unquote happiness. It's just me feeling joy and growth in that relationship. That reminds me a lot of a dynamic I had with my past partner where we would get into these fights and obviously we were both hurt. Like we were both hurting each other through this mm-hmm. argument. And it would come to this point where one of us would beat the other to the punch in terms of like, I am so hurt. You really hurt me. Mm-hmm. And then the person has to like, the other p- person has to like repress their hurt to like take care of you all of a sudden. Oh, yeah. It's almost like it's a contest, right? Of like, <laughs> who, can, who can get there more quickly? And yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's something where you're made to repress your hurt or your dissatisfactions with the relationship because you know that you're hurting them too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so it's like you don't I never knew how to unpack this like endless cycle of us hurting each other and just not knowing how to heal it. Mm. And how would you say that has kind of evolved since your past relationship? Has that evolved or do you see that kind of recurring still? Oh my gosh. I think this definitely happened again in one of the fights in my current relationship where we were kind of having playing around, having this joke, and then I hit him too hard. And then it became this like weird space of like, oh, I actually did hurt you, but it was a mistake. And <laughs> I don't know what to do now, whether to keep it as a joke or to take it mm. seriously. And so then I, um, like in my mind, this was a joke too, where I started mm-hmm. listing all the ways that I demonstrated my love for him and my care for him mm-hmm. to offset this one mistake mm. and he and that hurt him even more because it reminded him of when his parents would similarly like list off all the things that they did for him to make him do something for them like almost so guilt he, tripping them a little yeah them, it was yeah. like a guilt tripping thing and a manipulation mm-hmm. thing And then that hurt me, like that accusation hurt me because I'm like, wait, but this was, this is like me, very deeply ingrained coping mechanism that I have Mm -hmm. um, to keep people close. Mm. And it was also your form of maybe deflecting a little bit of accountability, right? Mm -hmm, Because mm -hmm. you're like, well, but I've done all these other things and Mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. I'm just joking because I clearly love you in these other ways. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. 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 And, and, and in doing that, it just kind of almost triggers a cycle, you know, continuous cycle of hurt. Reproduces the hurt. And Mm -hmm. so what sucks really is that, or what sucked was that that all of that wouldn't have happened if I just knew how to apologize or take responsibility mm. for the mistake that I made. I think the creative work of partnership is just really about creating this language around how to take responsibility and be compassionate towards things that are accidental right. and expressive of like, we're flawed human beings right. and we are not conscious and aware all of the time yeah. And so how do you 
take responsibility for that and demonstrate compassion and love to your partner who hurts you accidentally, mm-hmm. right? Because it's still painful. Right, right. I love that you brought in your current partner's parents and their kind of parenting style into this mm-hmm. because I have this really beautiful quote that I think about too because it it really reminds me uh, that I come to the table with a history with with former relationships with my parents mm-hmm. that really influence how I approach relationships and I'm just going to read this quote it says we inherit our coping mechanisms and conflict styles from our caretakers for many of us conflict meant someone had to win and someone had to lose It meant aggression, lack of personal responsibility, (laughs) running away, or stonewalling. Healing our conflict style requires us to step out of our conditioning and do what feels unnatural to us. We have to practice a new way until chaos no longer feels exciting and we feel at home with safe, healthy, and grounded communication. I mean, that resonates with me so much because that idea of like, when I get into a disagreement, someone has to win, someone has to lose. Like I need to get the one up on this, Mm -hmm. on this, you know, argument. It, it no longer values both of us coming with our own unique perspectives and experiences. Right. And it also devalues the fact that, Hey, we're on the same team. We're not, we're Mm -hmm. not here to be against each other. We're not trying to be against each other. We're actually here on the same team. So no one has to lose. Like we can both win if Mm -hmm. we can have, as this quote says, safe, healthy, and grounded communication. And I want to credit that quote to Shalina Ayana, who is a spiritual writer, and you can find her on Instagram at Rising Woman. That's a really insightful quotation. Something that really resonates with me is how this dynamic between like winners and losers Mm. produces um, the feelings of like humiliation and shame. Oh, yeah. And I remember like that was the most difficult feeling that I had to work through in that earlier fight I mentioned before. Because it was like, it was a mistake. I didn't mean to do it. Like, do I really have to like apologize and like how do I get myself to a place where I really mean it Mm. um, without being defensive and also keeping in mind that as women of color we often apologize when we don't have to and so Mm -hmm. figuring out how to dissociate the kind of society's expectation for you to apologize versus genuine apologies where you are actually holding yourself accountable, you Mm -hmm. know, to mistakes that you've made. Um, Because oftentimes I'm like, you know, I I don't need to apologize. Like I always apologize. Like I, you know, and (laughs) I think there, no, there are times when, (laughs) when holding ourselves accountable is important and, you know, make space for growth. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. And I was actually doing some research on Filipino a liberatory psychology because a lot of our psychological concepts that we have for understanding mental health is based in Western theories of the mind. Mm. And this one draws on indigenous concepts, um, indigenous to the Philippines. And one of the concepts is, um, is called, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing it right, but it's HIA or H I Y A. And colloquially, translates to shame but when you dig into its deeper indigenous uses and meaning 
it has this understanding that your capacity to feel shame only reflects your capacity for virtue. Hmm. Wow, that's beautiful. Mm-hmm. And by virtue, you mean it's like the diametric opposite of shame, right? Mm-hmm. The like love that you feel for yourself mm-hmm. and the wholeness you feel, right? Mm-hmm. Showing up as your most authentic, loving self. At the end of season one, we circulated a survey to gather feedback on the elements of Are You There Universe that resonated most with you. We were so humbled by the response. Thank you for sharing guest speaker recommendations, highlighting your favorite episodes, and offering insight into how we can improve your listening experience. To extend our gratitude, we randomly selected three people to either receive a gift card or a donation in their name to a BIPOC-led justice organization of their choice. We want to thank Kelsey Johnson for choosing Black Lives Matter, the global organization whose mission is to eradicate white supremacy and build local power to counter acts of violence against Black communities and create space for Black imagination and innovation. We want to thank Ross Strack for choosing The Okra Project, a collective that both hires Black trans chefs and provides unhoused or food insecure Black trans people with home-cooked, healthy, and culturally specific meals. Finally, we want to thank Shelley O'Rourke for choosing Dream Defenders, an organization led by Black and Brown youth to advance a vision of safety and security and away from prisons, deportation, and war. You can find links to all of these organizations in our show notes. Since the COVID-19 pandemic has begun, anti-Asian hate crimes in the United States have risen by 1,900%. As we approach Lunar New Year, Asians and Asian Americans are being specifically targeted in violent attacks and robberies in the Bay Area and across the country. In fact, just last month, an 84-year-old Thai man was killed on the street in San Francisco. The mainstream media has not effectively reported throughout the course of these attacks, further silencing the Asian American and Asian community. We at Are You There Universe believe that to be anti-racist is to also actively fight against racism and violence towards Asians and Asian Americans. You can learn more about hate crimes perpetrated against Asians and Asian Americans or report an incident through at StopAAPIHate. And you can also find resources and readings that explore the complex nature of anti-Asian sentiments in our show notes. If our show resonates with you, follow us on Instagram at areyouthere.universe. Subscribe to our channel wherever you listen to podcasts and leave us a review. We're so grateful for your support speaking to our parents, one of the things that happened when I was home with Terrence and my mom and dad is my mom came up to me and she said, she whispered in my ear and she was like, you know, you're just, you're, you're too critical of Terrence. You're like you're <gasps> criticizing him too much, especially in the kitchen. Like he's just learning and all this stuff. Cause we were cooking for the family. Oh my God. And I, I like, <laughs> I like laughed because I was mm-hmm. like, Mom, I wonder where I got that from. (laughs) (laughs) And my dad laughed because, like, it's an ongoing phenomenon that my mom, my mom criticizes my dad a lot, right? Mm -hmm. And that's that's a kind of dynamic I witnessed from as a young child. And I'm not saying that that's an excuse. Oh, because my parents did it, now I do it, and I can't help it. I'm definitely not at that space, but it doesn't surprise me that 
I find myself criticizing Terrence in a very similar fashion that my mom did to my dad. And that's something that I am actively aware of and I'm trying to, you know, think through and really process. But it is crazy just how much we how how influenced we are from the caretakers that um communicated to us what relationships mm-hmm. are. And it's so subconscious, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I was like, <laughs> of course, the first thing I said was, I wonder where that came from rather than like, oh, I know, or, you know, kind of holding myself accountable to it. I I, I almost like re-put the blame on my mother, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, but it makes sense because that criticism threatens your, it's like humiliating, right? It, mm-hmm. Like it, it incites that sense of shame. And instead Absolutely. of being like, actually, I'm choosing, I can experience this shame and humiliation as my own capacity for virtue mm-hmm. that I was somehow not able to tap into in that moment, but regardless, reinforces my capacity for virtue. And that actually that desire for control comes from a deeper desire for safety Mm. and understanding. Yeah. I think you hit the nail on the head there. And I, and I would even go so far as to say that when we enter a space where we're trying to change another person, right. Whether it be by criticism or kind of like wake them up to ways of being and ways of living that we think they should do. Mm-hmm. We're actually, I think, being invited to look closely at what's missing from ourselves and our own kind of ways of being, right? In our own relationships. Mm-hmm. And I think that focus on trying to change other people is a sense of, is is trying to get that sense of control in our own lives. Right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um and man, has this pandemic really taught me how to really let go of some control. It's kind of forced <sighs> me to, right? In my relationship oh, and just my generally. Gosh. Literally, yeah. just a couple of days ago, I had to just sit and allow myself to feel just the intensity of fear and feeling mm-hmm. not safe in the midst of everything that's going on. And I just had to let myself like cry. Mm. And it was really, really nice to just sit with how I don't have control and how hard it is for me to admit that. Yeah. So one way I was confronting my controlling ways Mm -hmm. was um, that my partner came to me to talk about my workaholic tendencies and Mm. how he didn't really (laughs) feel like he had a lot of space uh, in relation to my work. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And then it really, in that moment, I was just, first of all, just totally shocked and kind of like flabbergasted. And I felt such a deep sense of threat that I just couldn't respond right away. I just, I did the thing where I was like, I hear you. You're totally right. You're totally right. But it's going to take me a moment to get over how I feel right now. Because you've like a sense of being like called out. You're like, oh, like alarm, (laughs) alarm, alarm, (laughs) alert, alert, alert. Exactly, exactly. (laughs) I know. How dare you? Right, right. And then, um, and then it really like settled on me. Like, where is this defensiveness coming from? Like, why does this feel like such a threat to admit? And 
I realized that I've been using my work psychologically to feel in control of my life. Hmm. And my work exists as this like shield against me and the world. Like I can, I can, for the most part, control my performance at work, how good something is, or I know what to do. It feels more tangible, uh, a tangible aspect of reality that I can control. And then he was basically forcing me to confront my discomfort of learning how to commit to someone or to trust them, which is such, oh my gosh, I'm already like, it's so hard for me to even talk about, right? Right, right. Because basically it was like, I had to confront that just simply loving somebody and enjoying their company is just not enough to sustain a relationship. Like the meaning of committing to someone and learning to trust them is a really uncomfortable process. Mm -hmm. That's why I think in my ideal world, I would be in a relationship relationship with someone I was friends with for a long time. Hmm. Like that would be ideal because I will have already trusted, you know, like the trust right. will always already have been right. there. Mm-hmm. But in the age of the pandemic and online dating and the precarity of having to and be willing to move anywhere for a job, I think it requires so much more work uh, for to be in a relationship. Well, also you've been sort of in a relationship with your work for the last oh my God. like decade, right? You Number know, one. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Like since, since Duke, since, you know, mm-hmm. 10 years ago, mm-hmm. um, you knew this was your calling and it's not just your work calling. It's, it's your life calling, right? The type of work that you're invested in. And so, that's been your number one kind of priority and relationship. And now you're being introduced to a new relationship with the new commitments that you must make um, mm-hmm. in order to, to help it thrive and, and grow. And I was actually talking to my friend about like what it means to be a student and reflecting on who I was as an undergrad and what I know now in grad school. And I'm like, oh my God, it's basically like in undergrad, I could only understand the world in the very small parameters of my family life and school. Mm-hmm. And then suddenly in college and graduate school, I'm being asked to, to think about multiple national histories, international dynamics. I only bring this up because as I am aging, <laughs> as I've matured, mm-hmm. I think similarly, I'm learning to expand my capacity to sustain and nourish more complex networks of relationships. Mm, absolutely. Yeah. It's not just like friend, boyfriend, <laughs> husband, mom, dad. There is so many interweaving, <laughs> interwoven relationships and all of those are defined differently by different people. Exactly. Right? Between the people that you're actually mm-hmm. in a relationship with mm-hmm. and I know you brought this up a while ago when we had a conversation, you know, this is a few weeks ago, but you said that society often prioritizes romantic relationships over friendships Mm -hmm. and other types of relationships. Mm -hmm. And that may not necessarily be the case in your life and my Mm -hmm. life, et cetera. And so I totally hear that. Yeah. Right. The complexity of realizing that you've been or I've been living by this 
societal norm that I somehow mm-hmm. don't even know where it came from. Right, right. <laughs> well, I think that's also, there's a fear for me of, of being simply and only defined by my relationship. And I remember in my early 20s <laughs> when I would go to a party or I would, I would have a party and I would invite, you know, a friend of mine and she would bring her boyfriend or partner or girlfriend or whatever to the party. And she would kind of bring that person everywhere. And I, I always told myself, I don't want to be that person that's always with their partner. And that's like always being seen as in a relationship. Like I want to be seen as whole. I want to be, I want to be whole. And I think I focused so much on what other people thought rather than just like, I enjoy bringing my partner to places, right? I enjoy mm-hmm. like experiencing joy with my partner, right? And there are times when I want to do that on my own, but I think I really pass a lot of judgment on other people for how they carried themselves in their relationships and then and then held on to that own judgment for myself, you know? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Right. And in a way, it's like you are caught in a situation where you didn't have any norm or script or model for how to approach your friend and communicate how you wanted to spend time with her. Right. Like without exclusively. Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> like, oh, I thought, oh, I thought it was just going to be the two of us tonight. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and it's not like so I don't like, like your partner. Right. But. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That reminds I don't, have you ever seen the movie? Um, oh, it's actually called Life Partners. Oh, I haven't. Okay, well, is it random aside, but um, yeah, it's it's about two best girlfriends, and mm-hmm. um, one of them starts to get in a relationship and kind of like, you know, ends up replacing her best friend with her new now romantic partner. And um, mm-hmm. anyways, it reminded me a lot of my experience in my twenties when my best friend got engaged, and I felt like no longer were there any more sleepovers of just the two of mm-hmm. us, right? Because they were living together. And no no longer could we talk until 3 a.m. because, like, you know, they were, like, together, you know? <laughs> and I got so resentful. Yeah. Um, and, and you know, needed to figure out how to process that and, and recognize that just because a new person entered this person's life doesn't mean that our relationship is any less valuable to each other, you know? Oh, that's so resonant because oftentimes what I feel is really that we're all theoretically polyamorous. We love Mm -hmm. multiple people at the same time. Maybe not Mm -hmm. all sexually, but we really do. And each person wants to be and needs to be loved in a different way. Some people require more time and not. (laughs) And it's kind of like learning how to capture those nuances or respond to those nuances as they change across time. Mm -hmm. I think that's the thing. It's just like the labor of love, the labor of sustaining and maintaining relationships is totally taken for granted in this capitalist society. I'm just like, but actually this is the glue to what fulfills me. And and to also think through, I want to be in the present moment with these relationships. And to your point that you made earlier about recognizing how different types of relationships mold and move and stretch and grow in real time is 
what being mindful is, right? Mm -hmm. Is being mindful of being mindful in relationships, how they're moving, how they're evolving, how the other person interprets your relationship, you know, and how that might be different or similar to yours. Like that is what being mindful is to yourself and others. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) And it's, and it's hard not, okay. It's hard and it can be painful. So that's the thing is, so I'm taking this Nagong energy class. And one of the mantras that the teacher says every time before he opens class is pain and joy. Like those two mm-hmm. things are like the, the master code to all of life. And I think, oh, I see like confrontation with pain is what allows me to have joy, allows me to experience right. joy. We talked a little bit about that too in that in our season one finale, the grace of gratitude, right? Mm-hmm. Like the how love and loss can be felt oh, in the yeah. same body, in the mm-hmm. same moment, right? In order for us to really feel that love, we we also feel the loss of that love, right? Mm-hmm. And um, I think that's so resonant here too. Yeah. 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 If you're joining us for the very first time, every episode, we do uh, a set of weekly affirmations and just a really short meditation. And so if you could all get into a comfortable seated position, let's just all take a collective deep breath together. I feel at home with safe, healthy, and grounded communication. My relationships inspire joy and growth. I am whole. I am love. Thank you, Jamie. I really loved that. Great. Thank you. Well, this has been such a loving conversation and such a beautiful way to kick off our season two, especially in light of Valentine's Day just around the corner. And so, yeah, I'll be holding space for for love in our relationship, Sunny, our Aww. friendship and Aww. the many layers of a relationship that we hold dear. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I can't wait to, to chat next time. Same. All righty. Well, have a good one, y'all, and take care. Thank you for joining us on Are You There Universe, where we get to reimagine a new world together. We're so grateful to you, and we hope you can join us again next time to dive deeper into the intersections between social justice and spirituality. If you're curious about our other projects and extensions of this work, connect with us. We'd love to have you join our community on Instagram at areyouthere.universe. You can also find me, Sunny, at sunny underscore mystic. And find Jamie on her website, www.jamiewu.com. <laughs>